Hi, I'm Justin. Thank you for allowing me to speak to you today at Wild and Precious Sunday. I have three things that I would like to express about my wild and precious life. The first is what I hope to do when I grow up and the way I hope to do it. The second has to do with my identity and the way I see the world. And the third has to do with how I handle stress and difficult emotions. As you will see, all of these things are actually related. So first, what do I want to do with my life and how do I want to do it? Something that is important to me is to love what I do. If you ask me right now, I will tell you that I would like to be an airplane pilot. I think I would love that. I'm only nine, so I don't really know what it would be like to actually be a pilot, but I can tell you this. I have flown on an airplane at least 20 times. Each and every time, I wait for the amazing feeling of takeoff, the speed and bumpiness that gives way to a smooth sail up into the sky, up and away from anything stressful or heavy. While I'm up there, I leave it all behind. I love it. I can't think of a better thing to do for a career. I wouldn't even worry about money, as I intend to treat my life and my career the way I treat my life right now. I intend to live to live. I won't live to work, and I won't work to live. I'm just going to live and love, and that will be my life. Now that I've told you about the future me, it's going to be even easier to explain the now me. You see, I already live and love and have that be my life. Some of you know that I don't go to school. We are a homeschool family. I love homeschooling. I have a strong connection to my mom, so going to school every day would be tough for me. I have a strong connection to my dad, too. He works hard at his job all day, which makes it possible for me to stay home and create this life. Thanks, Dad. I love you. I think homeschooling is pretty much the most wild and precious thing. It makes room for all of the other things that make me who I am. For instance, a huge thing about me is my self-confidence. I can be who I am and not worry about being in a position where I am teased and can't get out of it. So what do I want to do with this self-confidence? I get to wear whatever I want, learn whatever I'm interested in learning, grow my hair as long as I can, and do things that make me feel happy and calm. Most people I come in contact with are very curious about the things I wear and why I like my hair so long, so they ask questions and are typically kind. When people have a problem with who I am, me and my mom and dad work together to figure out how it made me feel, and I can move on from there. But it is stressful sometimes. Speaking of stress, stress is something that bothers me very much. I do not have much stress, but when I do, it puts me in a bad mood. Fortunately, there are things I can do to help my mood and my stress level. One of those things is to play my guitar. It is just a stress remover. I practice every day, and when I play, I feel as if I want a stress-free planet. I only started a couple of months ago, but I have come a long way from there. Another thing that means a lot to me is baseball. Baseball, to me, is like guitar in that it takes away stress, but in a physical way. When I can't play my guitar or play baseball... The one thing I can always do is breathe. My mom taught me how to belly breathe when I was only two years old. It clears my brain and brings me peace. It also helps with negativity and anxiety. For instance, if there is something I'm nervous about doing or do not want to do, taking deep breaths helps me go into the task with an open mind. I know that I do not have to be excited about everything everyone ever tells me to do. 
but I try to go into everything with an open mind. Taking deep breaths helps me keep my mind open. Sometimes, with my mind open, I even find that I can have fun doing something I dreaded at first. Hey, I might even want to do that thing again in the future. Okay, so I told you about what I want to do with my life and how I handle stress and some of my identity. There is one last thing that falls into all three categories, and that is my time with cradles to crayons, which is a huge part of my life. My mom and I spend one to two days per week there, and we also donate lots of things and collect from our house and the homes of our friends. Cradles to Crayons is a nonprofit organization that helps kids 0 to 12 living in poverty in our area and around Philadelphia and Camden, New Jersey. They give out clothes, books, toys, shoes, and coats. What we do at Cradles to Crayons is that we are champion volunteers. Champion volunteers are people that act like staff but do not get paid for it. We lead volunteer groups, help organize the warehouse, and support the entire mission of the organization. When I'm at Cradles to Crayons, I feel confident and excited about the work we do. I find it pleasing to know I'm helping people. For instance, I know there are pro- the products I touch when I'm there will be in the hands of the kids who need it within two weeks from when we were working with it. It's an awesome feeling of accomplishment when we are done every week. Thank you for listening to what I have to say here at Wild and Precious Sunday. So I'm Raya, as you know. At 17 and as a senior in high school, my life seems to be an endless cycle of stress and sleep deprivation. I have two jobs, one at a bakery, and I work here in the nursery on the weekends. So working at the bakery can be pretty crazy, especially during the holidays, and there isn't really ever a time when the door's not open and people aren't pouring in. And it's enjoyable, but the hours are long, especially on top of school and everything else I have to deal with like my siblings. (laughs) Um, Like I said, the days of the bakery are pretty wild, but I wouldn't trade them for the world. And I look forward to the customers that come in every day. I look forward to hearing about their lives, the new things that are going on with them, um, the twists and turns that are occurring. And I love the people that I work with. I couldn't ask for anyone else to work with. My boss always falls to the ground with laughter when I do something stupid. And my coworkers are always making fun of me because I'm too short to reach the cake pans on the top shelf. <laughs> but at the end of the day, these are the things that I appreciate most about my job at the bakery. And I cherish the days that I spend laughing there because I know next year they're not going to be there. And with the nursery, I wouldn't want to spend my Sundays anywhere else but with the smiling, energetic children and the ones who get excited to spin around in wheelie chairs. <laughs> From school to work, things aren't much different, and with college applications and the endless streams of tests, there's never a time when I'm not stressed out. And although school may suck, I look forward to the most obnoxious sing-alongs in the car in the morning with my neighbor and my siblings as we drive to school, and I look forward to the Wawa runs on Fridays that signify the end of a long week. I live for the spontaneous trips to Kiwi Yogurt after a bad day, And I look forward to movie nights on Fridays with my neighbor and the endless fun that we have after school. And like I said, school is sucky, but this year I'm able to take an allied health class so I can spend two days in a classroom setting learning medical terminology, medical abbreviations, just academic stuff. But then the other three days I'm at Phoenixville Hospital in different clinical rotations, so... So far this year, I've been with rehab, physical therapy, um, occupational therapy, 
the ICU, um, lots of different things. But this week I was able to spend two days in the OR where I was able to see two different surgeries. So it was really cool being able to experience that. One of the surgeries was a robotic surgery and it was definitely cool to be able to see something so advanced and just happen right in front of my eyes. And the second surgery was a plastic surgery, but the surgeon was so engaged with us and he was telling us what was going on. He allowed us to stand right up next to him and see what was happening. So I definitely look forward to those days, the small things that happen. Um, the surgeon actually ran out of the OR at one point because he had to go to the bathroom. So it was pretty funny. And it's definitely things like that make it worth it. So throughout most of high school, I failed to join the clubs that I wanted to join. I failed to form close relationships with my friends because I was always so busy with school, always so busy with work. So this year I'm trying to change that because it's my last year of high school. So my brother's in band, and I remember at one of the football games this year, we were sitting next to the band section, and I looked over, and all of the people that I'm friends with were all having so much fun with their band friends, and that made me realize that I should have joined these different clubs, I should have formed close relationships and ignored the, well, not necessarily ignored, but taken time from work, from school to um, have fun outside of that. So I don't want to live my life surrounded by regret and a desire to make up the things that I didn't do. So this year I'm joining more clubs, I'm um, making new friends, taking risks, and in order to leave my impact on this world, I have to step out of my comfort zone and fill my life with positive experiences, even if they may seem risky at first. So when somebody asks what I want to do with my life, I reply that I want to be a doctor. And they always say, that's so much schooling, that's so much time, you're never going to be able to have a life with going through that um, academic process. But medicine is what I'm passionate about, and that's what I want to pursue, so... I know that I will be able to make the time for my friends as well as my schoolwork on that path, and I will be able to become a doctor one day, no matter how hard that path may be. Um, so a career like that requires a lot of dedication, but I know that I'm going to be able to do that with the support of my friends and my family. And as cliche as it may sound, I'm going to be able to do the things that I want to do, like travel the world and see all the beautiful places that I want to see, and I'm going to live a life without regrets. This is my own life. Um, nobody else is to control. So it may be wild at times, but that wildness is what makes it precious. And I wouldn't trade anything for the wild, crazy things that happen because they lead to some of the most precious, important moments. And I'm going to continue to live a wild but precious life, a life that belongs to me. Good morning, everybody. So in case you don't know me, my name is Ben Kaufman, and I have been attending Wellsprings for a few months, and I became a member a, a few weeks ago, actually. Um, well, thank you. Um, but in, in light of that, I want to take this opportunity to thank this entire congregation um, for all the support and love that you've expressed towards myself, my very large family in the back over there, and, and just other new members as well. Um, because really, I've never felt more welcome in any other congregation in my entire life. So I know this is cliche, but thank you from the, from the bottom of my heart. 
So I'm up here today to talk about what is wild and precious in my life. Uh, now, believe it or not, last year I was clean-shaven, <laughs> short-haired, had no piercings. So, yeah, that's me and, and my sister in, uh, in May. Um, and in case you haven't noticed, I look a bit different now. <laughs> last January, I pierced my left ear. And this summer, I decided to grow out not only my hair, but a beard as well. And who knows, a sleeve tattoo may be in the near future, much to my parents' dismay. Um, yet, before I go further, uh, let me send out a small warning to anyone who wants to follow suit and appearance changes. Uh, when you make that many changes, a lot of people won't recognize you anymore. <laughs> and, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing, considering many of my <laughs> classmates. Silliness aside, I made the decision to drastically change my appearance for a very specific reason. Last year, I confronted the fact that I suffer from severe social anxiety and depression. My whole life, I had been running from myself, too scared to face the reality that I needed professional help. So instead of being myself, I created a personality that uh, failed to fulfill my true self. This mask-like personality that I created met the expectations of society, my peers, authoritative figures, and my family, but not myself. My most common tool was to force myself to put a smile on my face and to let everybody know I was okay, even though I was not okay. Unfortunately, this resulted in self-hatred, a fear to be myself lest I be judged, and a tendency to isolate myself both physically and emotionally from everyone around me. This led to some very dark times in my life. Uh, in fact, I nearly failed out of college three separate times because I could not bring myself to exit my dorm room and face the world that so frequently hurt me for being myself. If anyone is experiencing this darkness right now, please know that it will not last forever. You will get through it, I promise. For me, what helped the most was an attempt to recognize what was precious in my own life. When I revealed my anxiety and depression to my parents for the first time in my entire life, just last year, I was met with support and love and I realized that my family loves me for who I am, and there is no need for me to be anything else but myself. I realized they might not even fully understand my situation. It's very hard to understand anxiety and depression if you don't have it yourself. But that didn't matter because they were still there to help, and they made an attempt to understand. This grew my confidence, and eventually I decided to open myself up to the world, I made a conscious decision to be vulnerable. When I talked with people, I would not hide my depression or my anxiety. For instance, if I was giving a talk in front of a bunch of people, I might tell them that I nearly failed out of college three times. <laughs> Needless to say, this process of being vulnerable is, was and is very difficult. You know, it's, it's still a challenge for me to you know, come up here and and tell you guys these things. But it's so helpful. <clears throat> what I learned 
is that there are countless people, such as all of you here, who are here to support me and love me and be right there by my side during the hardships in my life. I learned the preciousness of embracing my imperfection and surrounding myself with supporters so I could brush aside anyone who refused to accept me for who I am. So here I am, me, the true me. I stand in front of you today with an appearance that is different from the norm. Some, including a few members of my family, inform me that this look is rather wild. (laughs) To me, this is not a bad thing. Because this wild look is an expression of my unique self, my differentness. When you accept yourself for who you are, even if it's different, you learn the most important lesson of all, that your own life, no matter how wild or how different it is, is truly precious. I implore you all to be yourself always. Accept who you are, and I promise you will learn to love yourself. I hope every one of you can embrace your inner wild and learn to love the precious life that is yours. Thank you. My name is Heather Sowers, and I'm very thankful to be here today. It's pretty exciting to see actually a lot of faces that I don't know. I've been coming here for three years, though I usually come to 11 o'clock. So I'm excited about how many more people there are here to meet. Um, Since the curse of middle age for me has been overanalyzing the major choices I've made over my entire life, I immediately switched today's question from what will you do with your one wild and precious life to what have I done with my wild and precious life? The harsh judgmental side of my mind, of me, flooded my mind with scathing comments You could be making more money right now, but you have no focus and follow-through. You should have finished several novels by now, but you're not disciplined enough. You would have been married by now if you just lost weight and colored your hair. Anyone else ever do this to themselves? Well, if I've learned one thing in a lifetime of therapy and being a therapist, it's that sometimes you just got to give all that nasty negative self-talk the symbolic middle finger. When I was finally able to just close my eyes and breathe, as Justin so eloquently talked about, I knew that this isn't about proving to others or myself that I have done something with my life. This is an awesome opportunity to share what is wild and precious to me. The answer for me is simple. The most precious thing to me is the divine. I grew up in Iowa and Minnesota and went to a Methodist church. As a kid, I knew the Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. God was an old white man with a blue flowing robe and sandals sitting up on a cloud in the sky. Jesus was his son and wore a white robe and sandals and had long brown hair and a beard, just like our Reverend Dave, who was kind and always smiled and was the only actual man I knew who ever wore sandals. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> probably because he wasn't a farmer. Uh, the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit was this amorphous thing that was sometimes symbolized by the dove, but wasn't always an it, not a he, and definitely not a she. At 18, I read a novel that turned my spiritual world upside down, a feminist retelling of the Arthurian legends called The Mist of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley. In this story, I heard a new word, goddess. I heard about a holy island in Britain where women studied herbs, healing, and magic, and they worshipped outside. I wanted to sign up then and there and go be a priestess. I was hungry for feminine images of the divine. In the spiritual tradition of Wicca, I found a trinity of maiden, mother, and crone. I began celebrating the earth holidays, the solstices, equinoxes, and cross-quarter days that fall between each of them. Our beautiful remembrance ceremony last month was extra, extra precious to me because at that time of year, I celebrate Samhain, the ancient holiday, holiday of remembering the dead and honoring our ancestors. Wicca resonates so deeply with me because nature has always been holy to me. I'm a farm girl. Some of my best childhood friends were Holstein cows. <laughs> I remember picking peas in our garden opening the shells, and eating these little green pearls of sweetness. Personally, I find cooked peas downright sacrilegious. <laughs> How anyone could take something so perfect and turn it into something bland and mushy is beyond me. I watched calves being born and calves die. I was intimately connected with the changes of each season, my grandmother was a true daughter of the land and took me on the wa on walks in the woods and taught me the names of wildflowers and birds. Trillium, Dutchman's breeches, bloodroot, mayapple, chickadees, jays, titmice, nut, nut hatches, and her Jenny Wrens. We eventually lost our farm, moved to Maryland, and my parents divorced. At 16, I spent five days on a tiny wooden sailboat, that means no motor, on the Chesapeake Bay for an outward bound trip. For the first time since my family fell apart, I felt hope. Out on the water, writing in my journal under a silent starry sky, my soul was uplifted and I felt curious and excited about exploring my inner life and discovering who I am. That was one of many moments in my life where I experienced the healing power of nature. It is wild and precious to me that I have a masculine side and a feminine side, and I connect with those aspects of the divine as well. On the fall equinox, several weeks after September 11, 2001, I went backpacking in Glacier National Park by myself. I lived in Montana then, so it wasn't too far of a trip. I stood alone under a full moon by a lake surrounded by high mountain peaks. I felt held by Mother Earth. My soul was soothed by standing on the ground and feeling a deep and feminine force surge up through my feet and charge me full with gratitude and love. Given the tragic violence of 9-11, I was also deeply connected to Jesus the peacemaker and the pacifist Quaker tradition I called home at that time. In that wild place, I was humbled and in awe. I acknowledge that the biggest part of the divine for me is beyond gender and form, 
It has been called the great mystery, but it's ultimately beyond words. When I pray, I say, God, goddess, all that is, to honor my holy trinity. I'll tell you something absolutely terrifying. I don't know what I'm going to be actually doing with my one wild and precious life six months from now, let alone for the rest of my days. I may still be a social worker, or I may be a sheep farmer. I may have a family, or I may be single and childless. I may have finished the novel I've been working on for 15 years, or I, might, I may have thrown it in the fire and let it go. What I do know is that when I hear the word God, I don't see an old white man on a cloud anymore. The sacred for me includes Jesus, Buddha, Artemis, Kuan Yin, faces and stories that combine for me into an internal heavenly father and an ancient great mother. The sacred includes the masculine aspects of mind and will and the feminine aspects of heart and body. What I will do with my one wild and precious life is to keep these divine aspects of my life in balance. I keep in balance in my life by walking, breathing, writing, and loving. I keep in balance by being outside and doing simple things to protect the earth that is so precious to me. I keep balance in my life by being part of this beloved community where I can speak the truth of my heart. Thank you, my dear friends. Namaste, amen, and blessed be. Reverend Ken approached me three weeks ago about speaking as a 50-something at today's service. I said I would enjoy that, and I thanked him. As he walked away, he turned back and asked, you are in your 50s, right? <laughs> I can't believe Reverend Ken thought I was 48 years old. So I thanked him for asking, and I told him I'd be 55 at the end of this year. Thanks for letting me share that, Ken. What will I do with my one wild and precious life? It's tempting to talk about a bucket list, but I'll set that aside. This question is bigger than a bucket list. It is literally poetic. I'm going to answer this in two parts. Part one of my answer is logical and pragmatic. If you know me, you won't be surprised that's where I'm starting. No flowcharts, but logical and pragmatic. At work, when we create a forecast for the future, we take a look at the past. The more data we have from the past, the better we can try to figure out what might happen in the future. With that in mind, to figure out what I'll do with my life, I've thought about what I have been doing with my life. I have five decades of conscious memory. That's a lot of data to work with. After reflecting and looking back, I realized that I've always enjoyed connecting with people. Even when I was a little kid, I enjoyed being out in the neighborhood with my friends. I, I played sports throughout high school and college, not just to enjoy playing a game, but to enjoy the camaraderie of being a teammate. Fast forward to today, and I enjoy springboards, not just for the subject matter, but to connect with people here at Wellsprings. So since interacting and connecting with people is something I've enjoyed doing all my life, I'm sure that will continue. And I hope some of that happens right here at Wellsprings. Part two of my answer. What will I do with my one wild and precious life? I don't know. Because as much as I'd like to use logic and reason, 
I've learned that a lot of what happens in life is unexpected. It can't be predicted. It can't be forecasted or controlled. Based on this, what I will do with my life is try to be open to whatever may happen. I'm reminded of a scene in the movie Castaway. Tom Hanks has been rescued from a desert island. And that movie's like 10 years old, so spoiler alert, Statue of Limitations is over. <laughs> so, sorry. So, he's been rescued from a desert island. He's explaining to a friend how he survived and how he'll continue to survive even though now that he's home. He says he realized that he needed to keep breathing because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide will bring? If someone asked me what I would do with my wild and precious life three years ago, my answer would not have included Wellsprings. I had yet to walk through that door. I hadn't heard Reverend Ken or Reverend Lee share a sermon. I hadn't heard this fantastic band play a song. I'd never participated in a springboard. I didn't know about Chester County Futures. I hadn't met my mentee, Kyle. But the sun rose and the tide brought me Wellsprings. My answer three years ago would have been missing a big piece of what I've been doing with my life. If I were standing here just last year answering this question, my answer would not have included Buddy. Buddy was an eight-year-old German shepherd that my family rescued. We'd been thinking about adopting a dog ever since Carol Hovis talked about rescue dogs at the Wild and Precious Service a few years ago. So I did my usual research and reading, but I still wasn't sure. Then my lovely wife, Loy, learned of a dog needing a home on short notice, and she said, I found our dog. Sometimes I need that push. So the sun rose, and we adopted Buddy in December. It was mutual love at first sight for all of us. He was a fantastic dog. Then in March, the tide came in, and we learned that Buddy was terminally ill. He died in July. We really miss him. Knowing Buddy and being there for him when he was sick and caring for him, that was a sacred experience. He couldn't have been loved more. Just last night at dinner, our son said he was so glad we had Buddy. So this is not a sad story. This is a good story. My answer one year ago would not have included Buddy the German Shepherd. Sometimes things can't be forecast or predicted or reasoned. I accept that part of what I will do with my one wild and precious life is to try and be in a good place so I can respond to what happens. Don't get me wrong. I'll still make plans. I'll still be organized. And Justin, if you want to be a pilot, go for it. I'm not throwing up my hands and saying it's all a crapshoot. However, some things won't go as planned. Some things will just come in with the tide. I hope to be mindful and open to those experiences. Now, I do have a bucket list. Sailing in the Caribbean, a river cruise in Europe, and I'm pleased to say we've rescued another dog, a seven-year-old German shepherd named Lexa. Thank you. Good morning. If someone with a wild imagination sat down to create a life of extremes, not just about a road less traveled, but a road that no one in their right mind would imagine traveling. That would be my life, my, my wild life. My mother, uh, Doris Kurz, 
was a young woman in college in Bozeman, Montana, who met Ahmed Al-Saya, a young man who was on a one-year sabbatical from Mosul, Iraq. You know, that's the city that's under ISIS occupation and all kinds of bad things have been happening there. My father was sponsored by the U.S. State Department in one of its programs for emerging leaders, bringing them to the U.S. to win hearts and minds um, in the Middle East at the time. Little did they know that my father would win the heart of my mother and marry her in 1954. Now, she had grown up on a ranch in North Dakota in an evangelical Christian family. He grew up in Mosul in a conservative Sunni Muslim Arab family. You've got to get all that in there. Um, their backgrounds couldn't be more different. And at the time in the 50s, uh, you probably know that there were laws in this country about biracial marriages. It wasn't even allowed in some states. Um, her family wasn't very happy. Um, they had hoped Doris would marry a nice Christian young man. And, and not only was Abed not a Christian, he was taking her to live in a country they'd never heard of with, with heathens. Um, well, I was born about a year later uh, in Mosul. Um, but shortly as a toddler, my parents moved back to the states where my father went on to graduate school. And I attended kindergarten through fifth grade in South Dakota, where I met my good wife in kindergarten. <laughs> but that's another st- story that deserves its own, <laughs> own, own service. Um, and that was wild and precious in its own way. <laughs> but um, after fifth grade, my family went back, moved back to Mosul, where my father was involved in founding the University of Mosul. And um, it, we were, you know, I grew up in an Iraq that was governed by Saddam Hussein, and it was very, very challenging. Uh, there were no freedoms of, of expression, of assembly, of the press. Uh, there were secret service and informers everywhere. And as my mother was American, we were viewed with a lot of suspicion by, by many people, and especially by the government. Uh, there were many, many scary times d- during my life there. Uh, one of the scariest was when I was about 17. The secret police came to our door and said that my mother must come to headquarters right away. They had been censoring her mail from the U.S. and had read something that made them really suspicious. I tried to argue with them that my father was at the university. Let me call him, let him get home, and, 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 and they refused. So I went with her, telling them I needed to translate, even though she spoke at that time good Arabic, but I felt I, I needed to do what I could to protect her in any way possible, fully aware that many others who had been taken to the, to the secret police headquarters never returned, disappeared without a trace. Thankfully, they released us after about four hours of questions, but it was a a very ugly experience, and I realized what it meant to feel really, truly like the other in a very closed and oppressive society. Um, And there were other stressful times. We often, they would come to high school and force us out into the streets to, to demonstrate in support of the government for some stupid war or something that Saddam was doing. Uh, and if we didn't cooperate, the punishment was severe. But, but on the other hand, we had many good friends. 
close friends and family who, who embraced us and treated us really well. So it, it was wild on the one hand and, and also precious. I came to the U.S. to go to college and got away from that. But looking at my life as a whole, um, I grew up in a, in a wild life of contradictions. My mother, God bless her, held Bible study almost every day with her three children. And we studied Quran in school twice a week. So um, my mother would say that we had to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and that we would be Christians. My father said that we should wait until we were adults and choose our faith once we grew up. Uh, He was the progressive one in the family. So I became a Unitarian Universalist. (laughs) Although I like to say that I am a Sufi, Muslim, UU because I I do find a lot of inspiration in in that part of my family's tradition. Uh, Living here in America has been a blessing in many ways, but it's been a mixed blessing. Um, My outward appearance, as Reverend Ken would uh, say, is white, uh, male, and could be seen as privileged. But I realized soon when I started in the workplace that that white card of privilege would get pulled when they heard my name or learned about my background. Very early in my career, I worked for a large company named Bechtel in San Francisco. A a manager pulled me aside and said, uh, I had a lot of potential, but if I wanted to move up, I really needed to to change my name. I'd never make it with a name like mine. And in other words, I should become a closet Arab Muslim. So that experience of being the other in Iraq and the other here in America has shaped me in, in, in many ways. It's been an opportunity to take that wildness and transform it into something Good. It helped me understand uh, the value of breaking down stereotypes, of promoting tolerance, uh, celebrating diversity. I've been, I feel I've been called to be an agent of change, uh, a peacemaker. Um, and, and some of the work I've done in that area is, is, has been involved with other similar-minded people. I'm a co-founder of a nonprofit called Intercultural Journeys. It uses music and the arts to bring people from different faiths and cultures together. Uh, We've had Israelis and Palestinians and Syrian musicians together. We've had Native Americans, African Americans, Chinese, just about every ethnic group that we brought together to show that we can get along. It's possible. I'm also chair of the board of a nonprofit in Philadelphia called the Dialogue Institute, and it brings young leaders from the Middle East, from Iraq, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, uh, Egypt, Lebanon, and Southeast Asia. We bring them to Philadelphia for five weeks, and we teach them about tolerance and about different faiths, and we take them to churches and to mosques and to Buddhist temples and help them understand uh, the importance of religious freedom and, and, and some of the principles upon which this country was founded. And they are, as young people, are being transformed. Um, and our very own Rodney has worked uh, both with Intercultural Journeys and with the Dialogue Institute long before he or I became part of this uh, congregation. So... Uh, uh, Given the dark times that we live in, uh, I've also just recently joined a newly formed National Muslim Jewish Advisory Council that has about 30 leaders from around the country that will jointly lobby Congress and the new administration. And we'll be meeting in Washington the first week of February to start on that work. Some of you know and some of you have been to our farm where... uh, 
I want to say Mary and I, because she does a lot of the work, even though she claims they're my horses. But we have, we, we have Arabian horses. And my father's tribe bred horses for many centuries in, in, in Arabia. And it's a, a beautiful animal that really has been also a bridge of peace between, between cultures. And um, I've been part of an international community of breeders from around 60 countries that um, come together and have formed many friendships through the horses. So, indeed, my um, life has been wild in some ways and precious in many others. And I'm grateful to be a part of this wonderful community, um, you know, as Ben said, uh, where we can be our true selves. And it's a community that um, helps us figure out how to be the change that we want to see in the world. Thank you. Well, what will you do with your wild and precious life? I've been asked to answer that question from the standpoint of one in his 80s. Actually, one of the biggest changes in my life occurred not too long ago when I was 79. Uh, I came to the conclusion that two and two-thirds acres, four bedrooms, and fruit trees were just too much for me to handle. Uh, I've been living alone for about eight years since my wife had died uh, doing the whole thing and I needed to downsize. I also went to a church that was having trouble, almost in Pennsylvania, but not quite. And uh, I was the treasurer, so it was mostly my fault. And and, uh, so those were some of the reasons I decided I needed to move. (laughs) So anyway, a friend of mine who lived in Berlin told me that... uh, That was a pretty good place for seniors, uh, that uh, Surrey Services for Seniors was close by. Uh, Mainline Unitarian Church, which I went to for a while, uh, was close. Justin Osterman was there at that point, maybe the best preacher I ever heard, Uh, until Ken, of course. (laughs) And and, uh, so at any rate, there were comfortable, comfortable apartments that I could afford, and so I made the move, and Wellsprings came a few years later. And it reminded me of a service we used to hold when I was a Methodist in our church, but they only let us do it on Saturdays. <laughs> now, this, this is a fairly typical time in life, though, for downsizing and for simplifying. In the old days, it was the time when Dad let the boys manage the family business, and he moved down, sort of. Or in my farming heritage, it was when mom and dad went to live in town, and often the oldest son was the one who got to uh, uh, run the farm. So it's it's a it, that stage in life though occurred maybe ten years earlier than it does now, since we have all are living longer at this point. Now, as to the stepping down stage, one's definition of wild and precious depends very much on one's age. Uh, For example, I know a young man who loves to run on these weekend races that go miles and miles, and that is a pretty wild thing for me. I could not (laughs) possibly do that. On the other hand, hand, uh, I suspect that the ability to do that is actually precious to him. And so depending on how old you are, it's, it's, it's where you stand on that. Um, 
I do a 20 to 30 minute walk on non-rainy days. And that's as close as I can come to wild physical activity. (laughs) But even that ability is precious to me. I can remember my first drive with a driver's license. Uh, My dad sat in the car and read his mail. (laughs) It was was a wonderful thing he did for me. Uh, I'm still allowed to drive a car, but I'm aware that that is going to be a limited time thing too. It's kind of a rite of passage at both ends. It's an initiation and then a dismissal from the mobile majority. I I keep records accurate to do my taxes, but not the down to the last penny ones I used to. Uh, I can keep my apartment clean, if not orderly. I subscribe to and read about a half a dozen magazines, uh, read the Sunday Inquirer and do the puzzles. I try to do the New New York Times puzzle. And I sing in the Surrey Chorus, and I get to sing here every Sunday with a great backup band. And it's just wonderful. Uh, And I love it when Rodney's here, too. But uh, folks are surprised to tell them uh, that I sing more in church here at Wellsprings than I did when I sang in the mainline choir. We actually sing more music every Sunday. And you may find the simplified life of mine pretty tame. And when I compare it to my life 30 years ago, it certainly is. But at 84, I still find it precious and about as wild as I can take. (laughs) Now, I haven't told you about what I plan to do next. But at my age, there are two things. Uh, One thing you can do is go to an old folks home. I'm not looking forward to that. Uh, The other is the final trip. That might be as wild as you can get. Thanks.